We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Hey everyone, welcome. We have a jam-packed episode for you today featuring not one, but two guests. So after you listen to a bulk of the episode on game show movies with our first guest, author Mike Miley, stay tuned for a bonus round, a second guest, who is a real live game show host and movie buff, my pal Rob Belushi. This is a good one, folks, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before I let you go, I did want to mention a couple of new things. If you're a fan of our super cool new logo designed by Kate Gabrielle and modeled on the poster of the Robert De Niro, Erwin Winkler movie, Guilty by Suspicion, you'll be thrilled to know that we do offer it as merch. You can bring home your very own Watch With Jen t-shirt, tote bag, stickers, and support both Kate and the show by visiting my site filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link, which is right by the one for our Patreon as well. So I hope you'll check that out. I've loved seeing the photos of some of you wearing the merchandise that you've posted to social media as well. The shirts look great. But enough about that. We have a terrific episode for you today. So here we go. A teacher and writer from Lafayette, Louisiana, who after graduating from AFI with an MFA in directing first got his start as an award-winning short filmmaker, today's guest is Mike Miley. Having left life in the entertainment industry in L.A. behind to work in education in California and Louisiana, Mike has taught middle school and high school English for 15 years and film studies at his alma mater, Loyola University, New Orleans, for the past six. Additionally, an essayist and author who's written about both subjects in popular and academic publications, including TheAtlantic.com and Bright Lights Film Journal. In 2015, one of his works was included as a notable literary essay in the 2015 Best American Essays. Mike's first book, Truth and Consequences, Game Shows in Fiction and Film, was published by the University Press of Mississippi in 2019. Conversations with Steve Erickson, which he co-edited, will be released from there in July. And he's currently working on his next book about filmmaker David Lynch to be released in the future. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing and how's spring going for you so far? 
Oh, um, I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, spring's spring's been good so far. It's uh, about two weeks left of the semester and and the the unending 2019 2021 school year, which yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the end of that. But yeah, it's going well so far. Oh, very good. Well, I find the subject of your first book so fascinating, and I'm definitely excited to learn more about it and discuss a handful of the films you focused on for our episode today. But before we go into that, I would love to know what about game shows first compelled you as a fan and also why you knew that this was a theme you wanted to explore in greater detail in your first long form nonfiction work, the book Truth and Consequences. Yeah, I I think I got really into game shows just growing up and having the prices right on all the time at home. And then my, uh, my other fascination was press your luck. Uh, I think they, they knew how to hook kids into a game show by putting this animated character, the, the whammy, you know, to, to jump in yeah. and which I absolutely loved and, and you know, shows like double dare and things like that. So I wound up being uh, kind of a game show kid in the summers uh, because you w- they would be on all day basically. And, and then when they weren't on, I would watch movies. And so that was basically my, my summer um, when I was growing up. And then the, the book came about when I, I was working on a paper uh, for uh, a, a different uh, a David Foster Wallace conference because I wanted, I, thought there was some connection between Wallace, J.D. Salinger, and Magnolia. And I didn't know really oh, what the, interesting. Yeah, I felt like they, they, all these artists are connected in some way. And uh, they all are really into like sincerity and authenticity, yet they all wrote stuff about game shows. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to figure out what was going on there. And that chapter wound up being like a Magnolia length paper. Um, <laughs> and so it was the sort of thing where I thought if I can find other books and movies that are doing interesting things with game shows, maybe there's enough material here for a book. And, uh, you know, then like with a lot of those things, once you start looking, you find there's more than you could possibly fit in. (laughs) And then it was more about like finding a structure that would make the book make sense rather than just going through everything that mentions or uses a game show. Um, But so it was really fun to do and and to kind of get back into the stuff that you watch when you're a kid. And now you get to look at it as an adult and all of that sort of stuff. That is a cool little gateway into your book there with David Foster Wallace, J.D. Salinger, Magnolia. I love that very much. And you mentioned Double Dare. I remember watching that all the time growing up and all of those game shows. It was like the late 80s, early 90s. They were all over the place then. Do you have a favorite game show or one that you feel that you might excel at, whether one that actually exists or just one you've encountered in your literature and film studies? Oh yeah, I mean, I think my my favorite one is still Press Your Luck. Okay, uh, gotcha. Sure. Uh, you know, and whether I'd be good at one, I I this is an embarrassing story. I auditioned for one one time. Oh, did you? Uh, cool. And the but it wasn't one that I would have been suited for. A, a friend, they had a production company who they needed more people to come in and, and like read for it, I guess. And it was just a really embarrassing uh, mm-hmm. audition for some show called Starface that I don't wow. Know. Yeah, I, I I never I don't even know if it went to to air or not. Um, but certainly not with not with me auditioning for it. Um, but as far as what I could excel at, I don't know. I mean, I it, I guess like everybody, I've I have fantasized about being on Jeopardy, but have never oh, you know yeah. sat down and done the test or anything like that. Uh, if they had a if they had like a 
a movie specific version of Jeopardy, I think I'd be really excited to be all over that. But I know uh, they need to do like a movie geek version of Jeopardy. Did you ever do like a bar trivia of movie, like movie theme nights? Yeah, I do yeah. like doing, uh, doing the, that. Um, and I remember, um, we were so cool in high school that my friends and I would go sit at the tables near the bar at TGI Fridays because like we couldn't sit at the bar because <laughs> we were underage, but we would play the, that little, um, they had the little handheld oh, gotcha. on the TV. And, and that was our, that was how we, we'd spend a Friday night would be playing bar trivia at okay. uh, Fridays. So you were good and you were illegal. I was not. When I was 16, I started college early and I had a friend who works at the local paper. And so all the reporters would go play uh, movie trivia every Friday night at this bar. And so they just sort of, I did look older. I was a little taller. And so it was a thing like whoever happened to be there when I showed up, I would just pretend that they were my fake boyfriend. And so we would walk in and they wouldn't really card me. And I was the ringer. So, uh, because before they were running into, it was kind of hilarious. They would like run into the men's room and call me. And sometimes, you know, this was kind of before cell phones, um, that I had at home, I should say they had a cell phone, obviously they were in the men's room, but they called and like, my dad was answering, why are these guys calling, asking about like movie questions at like back <laughs> on a Friday night? Like what is going on? And I'm like, oh, it's Paul. It's fine. Oh, Okay. <laughs> we're fine with it but you couldn't win two weeks in a row so you know really? go one week and then take a week off and then I'd show <laughs> up the next time it was hilarious yeah but you did it legally I probably you know watch I'm gonna go to like a uh, movie trivia jail now but it was fun yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah I mean like that's that's the perfect thing to be the ringer for right is yeah, yeah great yeah, they just thought, oh, it's their little girlfriend. Who cares? And it's like, whoa, why does she know all the lines from Annie Hall? Like, what is that about? <laughs> <laughs> well, since literature is a subfocus of the book as well, which stories or novels involving or centered upon game shows would you recommend to listeners? And also, is there a reason that you chose to call your book fiction and film as opposed to like literature and film? since half of the films we're going to be talking about today are fictional or somewhat fictional. Okay. Yeah. I guess the, the, the fiction part was mainly to sort of, I guess, exclude poetry and oh, gotcha. fiction yep. and other kinds of, uh, of writing there. And yeah, the, in the, the movies are all, are all narrative uh, features rather than, than some docs or things like that. But yeah, that was more the, the distinction. Oh, uh, between like poetry. Uh, yeah. I got it. <laughs> Um, and, but and there are like a few plays, I, I guess, that I looked at that um, that dealt with game shows, but I decided not to not to include yeah. them. So fiction seemed like a good kind of catch-all for the novels and short stories that uh, that the book covers. the The book I'd recommend wholeheartedly, I love it so much, is this book called "You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine" by okay. Alexandra Kleeman. It came out five or six years ago and I think she has a new book coming out uh this summer but it's her um it's her first novel and it is a very it's in the vein of I guess Don DeLillo and George Saunders that sort oh, wow. of 
world uh, where there's a it's a reality dating show called That's My Partner that involves this weird speed dating but identifying your partner through their like extreme close-up photos of their body parts like the the back of their hand (laughs) or their neck or something like that and if you fail at the show if you can't identify them you there's like an immediate restraining order that's in play that's put a put on you and you have to break up um and my goodness it's a really wild book that has like a (laughs) weird like um like cartoon character endorsing this um this food that's made out of like, uh, it's like a snack cake that's made out of like the secret the ingredients are secret, but it involves food grade plastic. And then there's, um, and then at the, there's a cult involved and it's, it's just, it's one of those newer books that kind of goes all over the place and is hilarious from start to finish. Um, it, it's just a delight. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what her next book is like. Uh, Cause I, yeah. she, she's a pretty amazing writer. That sounds fascinating. Well, obviously, feel free to jump around and reference any movie character, actor, writer, director at any time here. But I thought it might be easiest, as we're going to dive into these, to go through the films chronologically, which will take us from White Men Can't Jump to Quiz Show to Magnolia to Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. As always, I should warn listeners that this conversation might include spoilers. So to anyone who hasn't seen these movies, you might want to proceed with caution. But kicking things off today with a comedy, we have Bull Durham and Tin Cup writer-director Ron Shelton's infectiously entertaining 1992 movie, White Men Can't Jump, which finds Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes working together beautifully like a 90s version of Newman and Redford, if you know the sting was set across a bunch of basketball courts in LA, where the two first hustle one another, then team up to do the same to everyone else. It's highly verbal, unpredictable, and winning, blending the poetry, literally poetry, of John Keats with your mama jokes, or the poetry (laughs) of the street. Ron Shelton once again makes sure that as smart as the men in his movie think that they are, the women played by Rosie Perez and Tyra Farrell are much smarter, just like Susan Sarandon in Bull Durham and Renee Russo in Tin Cup. As Woody and Wesley dream of their small hustles, Rosie Perez's Gloria busily studies every book she can get her hands on to ready herself for Jeopardy which she's sure is going to call to make her contestants. A film with a lot of lessons about winning and losing, including those specifically spelled out in the dialogue. I've always enjoyed this one. And I was really thrilled to read and surprised that it was one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies, which kind of blew my mind. (laughs) Mike, what are your thoughts on White Men Can't Jump? Oh, um, I I really love this movie. It's like like your description shows. It's just a ton of fun. It is. Uh, and yeah. I think it's a really exuberant movie that just seems to be having a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know normally the movies that look like they were fun to make don't always want yeah. to be nothing to watch. Always and, translate, but <laughs> yeah, but this one it seems like it, it's it 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 seems like a blast, and it is also a blast to watch. Um, and. I, I just love the way that this, I mean, one, I guess Rosie Perez in this movie is fantastic. She's I, I, phenomenal. Yeah. It really feels like she's the whole movie. And mm-hmm. um, as much as it's sort of positioned, I guess, as like a Woody Harrelson vehicle to like transition him from, from cheers to, to feature mm-hmm. films. 
uh, she walks away with the movie. Um, and she does. I, I love the way that it con- compares and contrasts um, their, um, their basketball hustles with uh, the, what she's trying to do on, on the game show. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think the kind of the most fun part of it um, as well as being able to work in stuff where what it's saying about the, the games is also what it's saying about relationships. Uh, yeah. It's, like a pretty sharp movie in that way. And I guess this is very much Shelton's wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Where he is able to kind of make love and sports always sort of be about the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's winning. It's losing. It's kind of the old uh, line about people complaining about relationships, how one person is always like more in love than the other. And it's a battle between that. And so there's an issue with ego in this and and all of his films and the women basically just want to be treated equally there's kind of a hilarious uh monologue where she talks about being thirsty and he gets her water and i think most people would be fine with that like thanks for the water but you know just to kind of uh project her thoughts she's saying you know i don't need you to solve my problems just relate to me and it's interesting she's always trying to coach or teach Woody about um, their relationship and putting her on the same level because there is question about power dynamics and they're trying to outrun. He owes money to people. He's a mess. They're not the best match, but they're definitely crazy in love. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is, is so wonderful. And it, I love how, and I don't know necessarily how deliberate this would have been, would have been, but I love how the fact that what she's telling him he needs to do is, to ask her questions yes and the show she wants to be on is jeopardy Perfect. and the whole yeah. the right and the right answers in jeopardy are questions and he's mm-hmm. always uh, fixed on solving things on providing answers and solutions and being a doer and yeah. you know, all of that and really what he needs to do is like basically shut up and listen and stop doing things uh but instead mm-hmm. uh and, and it's the the reason he fails all of his, all the times that he fails when he's trying to compete in sports are also the same reasons why he's failing with her. It's this like refusal to, uh, I guess, trying to force himself and his, who he is onto other people um, mm-hmm. and, and try to control what they know and what they don't know rather than asking them what they're thinking uh, and if they need anything. Yeah, and it's the different approaches to problem solving. These are both men of action and quick reactions. I mean, you have to be on the court when you play basketball. But I love also after Wesley Snipes double crosses Woody Harrelson, he's out $1,700 for this um, game. She's the one that's able to figure it out. Like you got hustled because he was making his shots. It was just Wesley was having a suddenly an off day and it was very convenient. And so they go over there and it's the women in the kitchen. It's a wonderful scene who have to like figure out how to approach this intellectually rather than just on the court the way that the guys would because they're in the living room and you think they would almost come to blows because they're so angry at each other. Woody Harrelson especially is very angry. Um, And the women are angry too, but they know that they're the peacekeepers and they have to rationalize and figure it out. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they're, and the, the guys are watching a basketball game, right? right, They're never not, competing or playing or doing no. these active things where while yeah yeah meanwhile in another room the the women are rationally working through their problems yeah, for them 
<laughs> and like life issues and they're just like on the game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very clever. Do you remember the first time you saw this one? Oh yeah. I think I saw this one in the theater and I, oh, I did you? Okay. yeah, I mean, I would have been like in seventh grade or something yeah. like that. And so the, the trash talking in this movie was the ultimate for, um, for middle school me, uh, yeah. just all of the different, uh, all of the different insults and, um, you know, and of course they, they hit differently now where some of them are, are sort of tired, but then like, like, um, like you mentioned, you know, then you suddenly have John Keats references, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My boy, John Keats said that, you know, yes. comes up and I just think that, uh, that went straight over my head when I was, when I was 12, oh, yeah. but, uh, but I, I, I loved it then. And remember, uh, watching it again. I don't know if you remember this stuff where they used to have the pay-per-view channels where you'd have to call a phone number to order yes. the movie to get you it. You could hear it though, sometimes. Oh, what? Yeah. Did you have that? You had to call the number, but sometimes you would watch it scrambled and you could hear it. Oh, oh yes. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're figuring out what channel was actually, because yeah. they would tell you, oh, you got to beam it to this channel to to watch yeah. it. And then, oh yeah, what happens if we yeah put it on there without ordering it? You, know, you get the scrambled audio and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah. But I remember watching it like that a bunch of times with uh, with friends and, you know, recording it on VHS off the, oh, yeah. off that, right? I mean, you have to. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty big mainstay. And then I didn't watch it for, you know, 10 or 15 years uh, until coming back to it for, for this. And it was fun to see new things in it again and then also just feel like you're 12 again watching yeah. this movie. And, you know, it, it, it is really... Um, you know, it's it's very exciting and sucks you in right away. And there's mm -hmm. the, you know, like you've got the it's the beauty of the Venice Beach courts and and stuff like that. Um, and I, I noticed watching it to prep for this. If you look in one of the first shots when Woody Harrelson gets out of his car in the background, it's the street from the opening shot of Touch of Evil. Uh, oh, it's, cool! <laughs> it's, uh, it's that neighborhood where they um, where they shot uh, you know Venice for for the border. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned with the John Keats, I mean, just like Walt Whitman and Bull Durham, when I first saw right. that, it's like, you know, what is she talking about? So he loves his poetry. I would have seen this. It was in like 92. So yeah, I was um, 11. And so a lot of that completely went over the head. And just like you, though, it, I watched it so much in the 90s that going back and watching it again recently, like a lot of the lines came back. But more than that, I was surprised by some of the shots that I remembered. Like um, at the beginning when Woody Harrelson arrives, just after that scene you were mentioning, he goes and he lays down on the court and he's underneath the hoop and they show him laying there. And then the next thing you see is a rim and the ball going through. And I remember like being blown away by that as a kid, like, ooh, that was an interesting transition. Or that great scene when to get her on Jeopardy, he has to do a hook shot from super far away. And um, you hear Queen Latifah's The Hook, which is perfect for it. And you hear like the hook of the hook as he does it. And it goes right to the theme song to Jeopardy, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Shelton gets kind of underrated, I think, as a mm -hmm. filmmaker in general. Um, and, it's it's amazing how he like dominated the early the late 80s early 90s with sort of hit after hit and then yeah. is kind of gone uh, mm -hmm. very abruptly um but yeah the the technique in the in the movie is is quite quite something particularly like even when like the the basketball games and the jeopardy game get cut 
the same way. Like the, mm-hmm. the edits are, have a similar rhythm uh, or the, the music choices that, um, that you mentioned, and even just letting, um, letting the basketball games play out the way that they do, where some of them are in rather long takes where the, the players are all having to make those shots and yeah. not just make the shot and then not have to do anything else. And so I'm wondering how many blown takes they have. of That's what I'm wondering. Missing. Yeah. When you see their faces and it's in the same shot, you know that they had to do that. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. Cause I guess a lot of the sports movies, you can kind of tell when they're cutting around from the a stunt performer or the, the specialist to the, the actor. But in this one, it's, you know, Harrelson and Snipes are having to make a lot of those shots on camera and, do really good performances at the same time. Uh, that was that was pretty impressive uh, as well. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to think how many movies that they had actually been in together. Um, quite a few, yeah. I, I meant to look and see whether it was Harrelson's first feature or if he had done something before that. Let me see. Was Harrelson in Wildcats? Oh, may, oh yeah. Oh, wow. So he was in Wildcats and they worked together in that, I guess. So this was their first, I guess, really substantive thing. But wow. Yeah, they were in a number of them. Money Train, Play to the Bone. We had yeah. them reuniting with Ron Shelton. And Ron Shelton's wife is in it, Lolita Davidovich. I didn't love that one. Do you remember that at all? I don't know if I saw that one. It was uh, not great, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that is the one that sort of ended his his run, right? Like he, he Yeah, he did uh, like Hollywood Homicide. I think he wrote the script for it. Like he did a couple things. Let's see. Yeah, he wrote Hollywood Homicide and directed it as well. Dark Blue, I guess he directed. That was very oh, good with Kurt right, Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that was about it. He did... Um, something called just getting started in 2017 which was like a 91 minuter uh with tommy lee jones and morgan freeman boy okay and renee russo okay oh my goodness i have seen this it was one that um in the old days we would have probably joked like opened up blockbuster so it was (laughs) not wonderful but you know it's shelton and a good cast so you can't really go wrong so if you're looking for more Go to IMDb, I guess, is the lesson here. And yeah. <laughs> all these surprising things that you wouldn't expect Ron Shelton to work on. Yes. Yeah, and I think he uh, he lives down here in New Orleans at least, I think, most of the year, if not oh, full does time. He? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, next up, we have director Robert Redford's critically acclaimed 1994 movie, Quiz Show which despite not making a splash at the box office, would go on to receive four Academy Award nominations, including one for Best Picture, Best Director, Supporting Actor Paul Schofield, and Adapted Screenplay for Paul Anatasio, based upon Richard N. Goodwin's memoir, Remembering America, A Voice from the 60s. It's a gorgeously made prestige picture, which chronicled the cheating scandals of the 21 game show in the 1950s, involving the rise and later fall of the handsome, wealthy, and popular contestant, Charles Van Doren, played by Ray Fiennes, who came from one of America's great literary families of the time. And his rise was after the fixed loss of likable everyman, Herb Stemple, played by John Turturro. The film's cast is nothing short of incredible. 
with actors including David Paymer, Rob Morrow, Paul Schofield, Hank Azaria, Christopher McDonald, hell, even Martin Scorsese, Griffin Dunn, Barry Levinson, and Mira Sorvino in tiny roles. It's the type of glossy, expensive, true life drama that immediately results in awards buzz, kind of like Good Night and Good Luck or Apollo 13. And watching the film in preparation for the first time since the mid-90s, I found myself instantly drawn in. So what are your thoughts on Quiz Show? Yeah, I can't get enough of this movie. I, I think it it's one of those where when I saw it, when it came out, I was really into it and mm-hmm. thought it was great. And then it just gets better the more that you watch it. And I guess the older that I get, the more I see yeah. that it's it's a pretty simple movie in terms of the story it's telling, but it winds up getting and at and going to so many complex places that I feel like I'm just now starting to understand. What, yes, about television what and all of the yeah. points it was trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I really um I, I was I watched it with one of my I watched it with my 10-year-old uh this time to prep for it to see. I wanted to see how it landed with him. And he was so into it from oh, the really? get-go. That's cool. Um, you know, and it because it's I guess for them too, it's like this is what TV used to be like. Mm-hmm. This is what you know cars look like and all of this sort of stuff that that he was really into as well. But yeah, it's it's the kind of movie like you're mentioning the cast. It's like every single speaking role is a wonderful performance. There's just nobody who seems to deliver anything off. And you know, you've even got Ethan Hawke doing a walk on yes, one liner. I, I had to rewind that scene. I was telling my friend, I'm like, you know who that is? No, who is it? I'm like Ethan Hawke. Watch again. Yes. Yeah. And that's just wild. I mean, I, I imagine he just wanted to, he's like told Redford, I'll, I'll do anything, yeah. you know, even if it's a walk on, it's like, okay, well, here's, here's your part. I got a great one for you. Um, but I also, um, I, I love thinking about it in terms of when it came out, like mm-hmm. it's, cause it's amazing how, like you said, it's, it seems like it is tailor made to clean up at awards and yeah. comes up completely empty handed. And even gets sort of shortchanged on a few. Um, I mean, Ray Fine's not receiving a nomination is really yeah. puzzling to me. Yeah, or Totoro. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this seemed like one of those movies where you could have the entire Best Supporting Actor um, logged right thing in. be them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and Mira Sorvino and the the actor who plays uh, John Totoro's wife are also excellent. Um, oh, she is. Yes. Like that that scene where she, when when Herb uh, announces the says on the waterfront and she just has to wordlessly sink back into her chair uh is is one of the most affecting parts of the of the film Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i just i think that this one it's definitely my favorite that redford has directed and um it it's it just seems like i'm curious how much he feels like he's saying about the business Mm -hmm. in in making it um but yeah how so how did it land with you uh the first time in a long time I think I liked it more today. I mean, I remember really liking it. I don't know if I actually read Goodwin's book, but I remember being given some kind of book or something that tied in and reading it at the time. So maybe that's what I read. I can't remember. I was one of those nerds where if it was a movie and there was a book related, I would read it. So I'm wondering if that's maybe what I read. Um, But I love it. I, I think also watching it in quick succession with Magnolia, I was taken in by um, the overlap with father issues, which seems to be, of course, of course, it's the main theme with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, but also Robert Redford 
kind of returns to parents and children quite a bit. Ordinary People was his directorial debut. Yeah. I love that movie. I think I might still prefer that because it's like more classically framed. And I have fond memories of watching it in my first film class I ever took from my uh, professor who paused it like every two seconds to like talk about something. It was a little obnoxious, but it was great. And, um, you know, but this came right after A River Runs Through It. And I read that Redford originally was just really drawn to it. He wanted to move the camera more because he'd done the fly fishing movie where you have to like stay very still and be one with nature. So it's kind of cool to see him embracing these things. And I love that he called on his friends and other directors like Scorsese's tendency to speak very, very quickly, which can come uh, across a little intense and it's perfect for this. So yes. yeah, I was really taken in. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's such a villain and, and yeah. grinning the entire time when he's in that, in that room with Rob Morrow and uh, Rob Morrow thinks he's nailed him is, and he's just saying, Oh, you know, no, nah, this isn't, this isn't a big deal. Yeah. This guy will take the fall for it, but he'll be back. It's fine. Um, yes. You know, it's yeah. In, in there, in, I guess there are a few directors in it, right? There's Levinson and Griffin Dunn. There's, yep. you know, so many, performers there who I, I always think that's interesting when like actor directors or big directors cast other people who are directors too uh yeah. and i wonder what they're up to with that mm-hmm. um and i hadn't read that stuff about the the desire to move but it makes sense um mm-hmm. coming off a of river runs through it and then he hires michael bauhaus to do it who yes moved the camera all over exactly. the place and you know, front of Scorsese, yes, right, collaborator, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then he lights the thing, like it looks like a cross between, I guess, the world of Goodfellas and then like a mid-70s Fassbender movie. It um, does, yeah. And, and then you mentioned the the daddy issues. Yeah, I even wrote in my notes for like all of these movies, they're, they're all love stories and mm-hmm. they all have lots of daddy issues. And they I do, yeah. I was, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I said they do, yes. <laughs> um, and and I, I wonder like, okay, what is it about? Is there something about, game shows that are leading all of these things to be about this or is this just something about about men where they're just making everything yeah. about fathers and uh and then having like covert love stories where like with white men can't jump you know there's ostensibly a love story between woody harrelson and rosie perez but really the 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 rom-com is is woody between harrelson and Nice, yes. right um yeah. and but uh but yeah this one i i think the the this one has both, right? It has mm-hmm. the the father son struggle with uh, Ray Fiennes and and Paul Schofield, and then it's got the love story between uh, Rob Morrow and Ray Fiennes yes. going on, where you know one of them definitely just wants the other one to say that he thinks he's cool. Um, yeah, and, you know, and it's <laughs> and it's it's wrapped up in in class and ethnicity. Um, I think that stuff in the movie is really fascinating to watch uh, as an adult, just how much of it winds up being about um i guess in in some ways how like the upper class runs things and also kind of how whiteness works like so much of the movie is 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 um exploring the how television basically pushes whiteness to the to the forefront in everyone's mind Mm -hmm. um and rob morrow's character is really interesting in how he's um there and it's these really subtle lines that i i don't pick up on um the first couple times watching it, these subtle lines where he is um, sort of continually being uh, either not viewed as Jewish or being uh, singled yes. out by people as Jewish. And it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, like, was it Rubla? Uh, something like that. He, 
Um, they weren't sure exactly did he eat that or whatever. Like he was straddling that line of is he Jewish enough? And I might be butchering the screenwriter's name at Nazio, uh, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, is Italian. I'm Italian on my mom's side. And he was talking about in an interview I read that he was relating to feeling like an other because Italians were kind of ostracized as not quite white, not quite, you know, what are we? And the Irish didn't like the Italian. I mean, there's stories, there's movies, there's history. And um, so he was layering that in with the issues with the the Jews and the Gentiles, because uh, John Turturro points that out, that, you know, it's more quote unquote palatable, especially in the 1950s to put the handsome lily white guy Gentile who, um, always replaces the Jewish winner. And it's very devastating. Some of those close-ups, John Turturro said he related to feeling like an other, which I found is interesting. Both he is Italian, of course, in real life, but he's playing a Jewish man. Uh, He's Jewish and uh, he's perfect um, for the role there. There's something about Turturro. I mentioned this on Twitter. And of course, then I had people pointing out all the roles where he plays a thug and he's done it several times. But there's something about him that just easily evokes a lot of empathy, almost faster than other actors. He seems to access that kind of humility much faster. And I was really taken in. It's hard not to watch this movie, too, in uh, 2021 and not think of the fake news um, and the way that TV has become so manipulated and people don't know what to trust anymore. But back in the 50s, people really trusted the information that they were being shown. It's kind of, yeah. 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 And, and, and like with a lot of these, I mean, it's even like not on the game show, but even in White Men Can't Jump, but in most of these, these films, it's always this element of rigging that comes yes. into play um, that, yeah. And, and the, um, the, yeah, kind of the, the way that the, that quiz show puts this incident up as some kind of, as a national shockwave that on par with Sputnik, right? Like it's mm-hmm. bookended by the, the Sputnik launch. And then this idea that their, their response to it winds up sort of disgracing themselves even more but then in the way that it ends right with that like kind of everyone getting away with it because they all play golf together and yes. then like <laughs> and, and like there's just the people laughing in the in the audience at the end that's just such a damning yeah. final shot and i and i was thinking about it uh this time in uh comparing it with like okay so it's up for up against forrest gump and the shawshank redemption and like pulp fiction and like four Winds and a funeral for um best picture and then the idea that um in some ways forrest gump is like the anti quiz show and yeah. you know even more so than pulp fiction maybe because mm-hmm. like it's looking at the same time period and you have this time watching it, I thought, wow, the people at the end are like, they're watching Forrest Gump. That's what that crowd at the end of the movie the is. The warm watching. nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the, then like Quisha looks nostalgic, but then it watching it for a moment is just, it's just scrubbing yes. all of that uh, completely off and sort of showing us how that is a product that we're being sold. Um, and, but that we, we buy it cause we like it or like, it makes us feel good in the same way that, like the Scorsese character says about the game show, like no one cares about who knows the answers or how they just want to watch the money. Um, you know, uh, and, but, um, the, yeah, the, the points about Totoro, I think are, are really 
really so good, right? Because yeah, he is really great in this movie and, mm-hmm. and so sad. While even though he's he's like at times arrogant and oh yeah, and cool, and it's still like there's just bit. something. Yeah. It's so it's still so weighted toward him. Mm-hmm. What happens to him as being this tragedy because he's the he's the guy who. Is, you know, went to school in the GI Bill, and he, yes, you know, he, um, wanted to go to college, and yeah. and he's like the guy in the neighborhood, like that walk where he, you know, gets to no. come home in the NBC limo, and everybody's cheering for him, oh. um, and then like it all gets taken away, and it's so, I mean, the the poetry of him having to lose on a movie question, of course, it's like his favorite movie, but like where you know marty's a movie about a, a guy like him right and, yeah and then he has to the deny irony. who mm-hmm. he is and instead do a uh, name a movie that's about a stool pigeon right or like a guy mm-hmm. who betrays uh i mean you know betrays where uh some people um and uh i think that's that's fascinating about it too and and then he tries to come back you know for to get the the truth out there and you know, he winds up with his, um, I guess, his congressional hearing. He tries to turn into like a show. And then once mm-hmm. again, he's upstaged by Van Doren, you know, who, who comes in and, um, and and has to make his big statement. And by that point, like he's in the background and Rob Morrow's even in the background at yeah. his own hearing. <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's so many things uh, about it that just seems so, I, the intricacy of, of how richly worked out uh, everything is from a from a writing and a directing level are are pretty amazing. Yeah, it's very politically uh, prescient. The scenes where the loved ones find out or have to be told that uh, they did cheat are killers. Like you can see why Schofield uh, was nominated for that scene with the "Your name is my name." Yeah. Lee has to tell him his father, who's a Pulitzer winner. Um, that he cheated and he got the answers and it just hits you right where you live. And it takes you, um, takes that whole father issue that kind of goes through the Redford movies and thinking about what you said about what is it about game shows? I think it's trying to make your own mark. Men um, need to have their legacy. I mean, historically everyone's different, of course, but want to win and, uh, want that sort of quantitative, like I'm the winner. And I think he just wants to separate from his famous uh, literary family. There's a game they play where they quote Shakespeare uh, to one another. And it's a game, but it's also, you can tell they take it extremely seriously when he, he cites a line just slightly incorrectly. You can tell it kind of bothered him to get that one corrected. Uh, it's just a great film. I was surprised this didn't do better, but when I looked it up, I guess this and Shawshank didn't do that well in theaters. And thinking about it, I saw both of these. I might've seen Quiz Show in the theater. Shawshank, I definitely saw for the first time on video um, when it was new, because I remember going and being very excited. But um, both of these films, they did kind of a stupid rollout for them. It was art house. They were hoping for word of mouth. So they just opened them in a few cities and tried to, you know, build that prestige and that buzz. And it kind of backfired on them, I think, a little bit when it came to, um, you know, translating to, of course, box office success, but also awards with what you were saying, whereas Forrest Gump was like the Titanic of 1994. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Pulp Fiction played for like a year. I remember seeing it in like the fall or something or winter. And then that summer going back with friends like three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah doing that a few, like seeing it a few times in the first run and then catching it at the dollar theater a couple yes. of times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I miss those a lot. <laughs> the d- I the do too. Theater. They don't really have those. Sometimes they have those like $5 matinees and for people listening, I actually like my first job job was working at a theater and I still remember the ticket price. It was four fifty. So now when I see like five dollar tickets, I'm thinking, shouldn't tickets just be five dollars? But yeah. <laughs> of course they're not. Times change and I'm old, but yeah. Yeah. No. No, I was so glad you picked this one. This was great. Well, one of the most profound, shocking, and memorable movie-going experiences of my life, the next film, writer-director, Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 movie, Magnolia, is one that cannot be easily summarized. Following an Altman-esque cast of over a dozen characters around during one extraordinarily fateful day where lives intersect, the movie makes us question issues of fate, chance, predestination, or free will, all set to the music of Amy Mann, which along with the staggeringly great prologue helps set the stage for all of the drama to follow. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, including a thrillingly against type turn by Tom Cruise as a supporting actor, as well as nods for Anderson's script and Amy Mann's Save Me. The film stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Baker Hall, Julianne Moore, Melora Walters, Jason Robards, John C. Riley. Jeremy Blackman, Melinda Dillon, Ricky Jay, who also narrates, William H. Macy, and more. Culminating in a startlingly biblical reign of frogs deep into its third act, the wholly original, ambitious, messy three-hour masterpiece may not have the same impact on the small screen that it did at the theater back then, but there's nothing else like it nor discussing its many overlaps and themes and characters, including two very different quiz kids from the past and present. So what are your thoughts on Magnolia? And do you remember the first time you saw it? Oh, yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah. I saw it opening weekend uh, at the the Palace Theater in here in New Orleans um, with a bunch of friends. We all you know went from the dorms to go see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I just remember when the title card comes up and the, you know, you're getting hit with all the maps and the Magnolia flowers opening and, and Amy Mann's yeah. cover of once. I just remember my basically like feeling like my jaw hit, hit the yeah. floor and <laughs> kind of stayed there the rest of the time, just knowing kind of knowing 10 minutes in that this is something that's going to be very important, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to me. And, and it still is. And I went to see it like once a week for about a month, oh, uh, wow. just kind okay. of bringing different people. Um, you know, it was, a uh, and I don't know if there's been a movie since then that has hit me that hard uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of continues to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I can't, this was when I was right in the midst of the whole, like, okay, I am going to pursue filmmaking, uh, mm-hmm. like watching Boogie Nights, it kind of convinced me to do that. Uh, and then this, his next movie happens and it's even better and grander. And it's like, okay, no, this is, this is the life for me is <laughs> sort of where, <laughs> where I was with this movie. And um it, uh, I think it also informed the way I felt about California in, you know, it, when, when we, uh, when my wife and I moved there and it, it's, yeah. And I know there's lots of criticism about the movie and about it, like being a mess and being like not good or just too much. And I just don't have time for any of that. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, yeah. it, is, it is just so, uh, 
I, I just I don't know what more one could ask for in in a movie than than this one that just sort of goes swings for the fences so hard and yeah. you know it's just messy doesn't in a good way. way yes yeah yeah just and it, it seems like it's part of that sort of mid late nineties excess of mm-hmm. where like you have it happening in books and you have it happening in in to some degree in music although I think that might maybe comes a little bit later but. Yeah, just the idea that this movie is going to feel things and it's going to to emote and it is, you know, and it's not afraid or embarrassed about mm-hmm. it. Like, I think that was something that was really, in hindsight, pretty transformative that that this, you know, after so much sort of 90s hipness, this movie is like, you know what, I, I'm just going to like feel things for three hours and yeah. it's going to be fine and I'm not I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, yeah, I, like, I mean, I think Anderson has probably made better movies since then. Yeah. And, you know, on a, on a, on any given day, I might pick one or two of them as being better than Magnolia, mm-hmm. but I still think that Magnolia is the one that I'm going to continue loving the most and caring about the most. Yeah. There's a difference too, between like favorite and best. I do that all yeah. the time with Scorsese with like best, of course, is Raging Bull, but like, you know, Goodfellas is my favorite or After Hours, if you ask me on a certain day. Yeah. But, yeah, it's the same thing. When I first saw this, it was like I had to drive. We uh, had to go like 75 minutes away to see this oh, movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had no idea how long it is uh, or it was. So I went and I'm like sitting down and I have a bad back. And um, I it's a testament to the movie because usually I get up like or back then, especially I was getting up like once a film and I would kind of stand by the side unless I got yelled at. Then I go in the hall for a little bit and then come back. Um, And this one, it was so involving that I just sat there the entire time. And then at the end, when I got up, it was like that was three hours and I could feel it, of course. But like I didn't care because it was that brilliant. How did your theater react when the frogs hit? Because that was huge in my theater. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I I think there there's a sizable kind of jolt when that frog hits the windshield. That first one, like people just, you know, I mean, it feels like it's like this, you know, crater. So loud. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and then yeah, I mean, there's the genuine befuddlement. Um, and and I I definitely felt like I don't know what the heck is going on, but I know this is the greatest thing that's yeah. going to happen for to me in a while. Um, yeah. You know, just in, in that, um, and then the laugh when, when Philip Seymour Hoffman's looking out the window, slack jawed, and, and it says there are frogs falling. falling from the sky. There was a big laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I think, and it's, it's a perfectly, I mean, it's, it's a, in some ways a dopey line. Like, why would you put that in there? But then it just gives the audience permission to, to like, kind of lose it right yeah. like yeah, this isn't going to make sense and now now we can go with wherever else like i think the, the movie is very clever in how it balances these really extreme moments mm-hmm. with the just the right amount of levity that doesn't trivialize it but basically let, lets people get it lets people continue to feel what the movie wants them to feel yeah uh, so and i feel like he's he's able to do that in a way that doesn't trivialize the emotional peaks that he's going for, but in, instead he's able to do it in a way that aids them. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the frogs are so great. And the, and then just kind of being the sitting there at the end when, you know, Malore Walters looks in the, into the camera and smiles, smiles and then the song hits yeah. and like, just have you, I mean, 
I don't, you know, normally in New Orleans, when a movie's, when the credits hit, people get up and walk out, you know, and, and don't stay. But that one, just not being able to move. I mean, one, because you're hearing Save Me for the first time, but then also just you, you kind of have to sit there and, and just um, come down from, from this, this emotional roller coaster. Yeah. In Minneapolis, when the frogs hit, basically there were a couple like barks of like very brief, like, <laughs> like shocked laugh like for the first couple or like huh and then after it kept going all of a sudden it was like a chorus and you could hear it at various parts of the theater everybody just in various parts going what the fuck and it was like it was going through the entire theater and so that entire i mean it's very loud to hear that many frogs anyway but that's how many yeah what the fucks filled the entire theater in minneapolis and people were just like what is going on and that scene with the um, ambulance and you see Julianne Moore and the arms kind of slide. That's when people really started to lose it for some reason. Somebody's like, what is he doing? And I thought that was great. Yeah. 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 And I think there were some, even some what the fucks when uh, for wise up. Uh, yes. Know, where... Yeah. A few people were like, I don't know about that. I heard a couple yeah. like, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause that is definitely like that probably even more than the frogs that scene's sort of the test of like how, how into this movie are you? How, how yes. willing are you to go with where we're headed? Uh, but also like the frogs, it, makes no sense why do this but it's also well this is a movie that has the world and everything in it so yes they are going to sing and yes there will be uh you know a biblical level plague Plague. event yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny it's perfect uh that you mentioned the wise up scene because i remember janet maslin um in her review, she actually thought like the movie was really brilliant. And then she said they just torpedo it with the wise up. So it really was kind of the litmus test of like, are you on board here with this? And that was like the no, can't do it moment for her. But um, I'm trying to think Ebert, it was one of his great movies. And I think he said something like operatic ecstasy. It was like one of his just Mm. gorgeous lyrical Uh, summaries of what a film was and it really is Um, I think as a film I prefer probably I mean there will be blood you know the best Um, I think Boogie Nights is a little superior to this too but Magnolia will always be in my top three because it's just so unbelievable the cast is just wonderful and as you were pointing out those moments of levity you need uh tom cruise like coming in the house at this really melodramatic moment of like he's going to talk to his dad being like i'm going to drop kick those fucking dogs if they come near me and it's like just out of nowhere and you know we needed that laugh because it's like holy cow uh because we had seen him with uh, Guinevere, and I think it's one of the best scenes in the entire film. Oh, yeah. And you can really see what he does um, as an actor and just how effective he can be uh, with the I'm quietly judging you, which I think Mm -hmm. was incredible. And it came right after he finished working on Eyes Wide Shut. And I know he's like apprehensive because who wouldn't be to play Frank (laughs) and TJ Mackey? My goodness. And I heard he took his mom to the premiere, which just blows your mind a little bit. But um, but he liked the idea of playing somebody so introverted in Eyes Wide Shut and then going to this, you know, extreme place. And I still think he was robbed. He should have gotten supporting actor. Just we don't really value what he does. And you watch this movie and blows your mind. And Phil Hoffman, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, yeah. Every single yeah, it's another one like like quiz show. Every single person you know delivers something amazing, and it's it's the the kind of newcomers from the the indie world, and then these legends like Henry Gibson, or yes. you know, and and you know Philip Baker Hall and Ricky Jane Robards, of course, mm-hmm. um, and Melinda Dillon. Uh, you so know, so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and she, you know, ha- and I like that you know he's able to with even with people who just have a few lines, you feel a three dimensionality to Mm -hmm. them. I mean, some of that's the performers and then some of it is how he's able to craft characters who don't feel like they're just popping in to do a line to serve some script purpose, but there's like this fully lived in person, you know, like Pat Healy is the pharmacist, uh, you know, having these like just living in this kind of awkward, like he's got that weird kind of, thing that he's doing with his with his mouth while he's nervous that um yeah. you know and, and how they're able and i guess the the other performers the the i guess more the the bigger names are able to work with them in their scenes and make them and not try to upstage them mm-hmm. right because I, I think yeah like april grace playing guinevere is astounding yes uh opposite tom cruise and yeah, the more I watch the movie, I really like watching everything that she does um, in it. Yeah, because you can see her thinking in character. Yeah, 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 and it's and like she definitely doesn't have the showy part mm-hmm. in that scene, but manages to hold her own and mm-hmm. and you know compel your your attention. Um, yeah, it's uh, and in the in uh, Jeremy Blackman uh, playing. Oh uh, gosh, uh, breaks I mean, your heart. His, yeah, yeah, his monologue. I mean, there's so many heartbreaking monologues in in the movie. Um, that I guess some would call scenery chewing, but I, I, I don't, um, yeah. you know, cause they, they are, um, I think the, the movie, um, manages to, I guess, give every sort of like with the, what we were saying about the laughs does things to give everyone permission to like, accept how over the top some of it's going to mm-hmm. be. Um, I mean, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman's monologue about, well, you know, this, this is the scene the in the scene movie in the where movie. you help me out, <laughs> you know, which I guess is either going to, either going to work or feel like like a cheap gimmick but for me yeah. it, you know it, it absolutely, works because it works happen yeah yeah mm-hmm. and um and i think like almost every character has one of those moments and and the movie's really good at at carving out space to um to make it feel authentic even if it is going to be big and operatic it, mm-hmm. it feels grounded yeah it's it's so true pointing out all the little performers like this time I don't know. It'd been a long time since I watched it. I'm like, hey, that's Patton Oswalt as the diver, like right at the beginning, who's barely in the movie. Like, glad I, glad, glad you like my work when you, <laughs> the two and the eight, when they start that whole motif yeah. that's going to go through the entire movie. And it really is, you can tell the actors were sort of um, seduced and uh, brought to another level by their respect for their fellow actors. The wise up scene, I guess, uh, a couple of them were like, I don't know. And uh, so Paul started with Julianne Moore and like had her record. And I guess that set the stage like, oh, okay, now I'm in. And um, <laughs> I still remember when this first hit DVD, it was this like, I want to say almost maybe a double disc, a uh, new yeah. line. It was gorgeous, the DVD that came out. Yeah, that's and the one I still have. Do you? Oh, and the, you've probably seen this extra feature then where it was talking about how John C. Riley and um, Philip Seymour Hall. Now, this is uh, Seymour Hoffman. This is, of course, according to Paul, who's known to exaggerate, but he was um, talking about John was like, 
watching uh, Phil in a scene like, oh, Phil's going to cry. Maybe I should cry. And how they were like kind of one-upping each other a little bit, good-naturedly, of course. But I guess Riley really wanted to play somebody to who falls in love because he was tired of playing those sort of stunted growth people. I mean, Jim is not the brightest bulb on the tree, let's face it. This woman is clearly strung out. She's just, you know, like her face, she can't, you know, form words. And he's just in uh, La La Land with her. And you're kind of like, why is he so... Yeah, he's worried about her hearing loss. It's like, (laughs) can't you see she's having like a way worse day than damaging her ears? (laughs) I know. It's like, come on, Officer Jim. But anyway, um, but yeah, they're just so marvelous. And the amount of layers that you get in the film. um, I guess also thinking about it, stream of consciousness, is um, William H. Macy and how good he was. I remember reading something where he talked about he doesn't usually get to play emotion much. I mean, this is a guy who I remember early in Mammoth movies all the time. And he, like the Western Union scene in House of Games, he's just in there. He does his lines in that, as my friend Jordan Harper would say, like alien speak that Mammoth likes and then gets off the stage basically. And, uh, you know, Paul, who wrote this, if memory serves, at William H. Macy's cabin, I think in like Montana or something like that, um, gave him this messy emotional part of a man. So again, just like Jim, I guess, weirdly infatuated with the stranger that he's willing to get braces because he thinks that's his opening, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) It's devastating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And having to deliver the, the, you know, like, you know, his drunken monologue, you know, is I like, used to be like, smart. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be good to you. You know, I mean, it, yes. it's, the, it's the sort of thing where I think like, and I guess Claudia has the, a similar scene where they are pouring out their hearts and simultaneously knowing that the situation in which they're doing it dooms it to failure yeah and they're gonna say it anyway because if they don't say it, it's going to kill them. Yeah. Um, and that, um, I don't know, like we're not, yeah, we're not used to, sort of seeing, seeing people that. do that and, and not even seeing it in movies and this movie's like yeah you know some movies do that once we're gonna do it like eight times yeah uh, you know <laughs> everyone's and, just and, gonna constantly bear their souls yeah yeah like i, I um w- and when i worked in when i lived in la teaching there they had a screening of the movie at the arrow theater on 35 and um anderson did a q a uh he wound up being beforehand and um and then like Adam Sandler came out as like the, the guest oh, wow. Q&A guy, the guest moderator. And I took a bunch of my students who were in my intro to film class at the time mm-hmm. to see this movie. Um, so like Adam Sandler showing up kind of blew their minds most. But then, yeah, at the end of the movie, as they're walking out, seeing it on the big screen, you know, they, they were saying like, I don't think I've ever felt this much for three hours in no. my life. Like yeah. they, they were wrung out. Um, it was, yes. you know, which I think, to some people is is too much but i guess for me that it's it's such a revitalizing yeah experience right that it i mean it really is a movie that um wants to um wants to i mean i, I guess some of it is like it's propelled by just it wants to say something right it wants yeah. to make a big statement but then i mm-hmm. think it also kind of manages to do it um and and it's fascinating to me how this big sprawling all over the place movie, like all hangs together on one shot, right? Yeah. Like everything connects with like the, the Earl Partridge logo 
on the TV screen. You're like, yeah, oh, that's just, how everybody's okay. connected, yes. right? And it's like, <laughs> like this big ass movie. It's like, how are we going to tie it together? Oh man, we're going to do this like this one, we're one close up of a TV. Yes. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, and we're golden. It's kind <laughs> of like in essays when people say they're signposting, you know, the the old, in this essay, I will. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson kind of does that. Like, in this film, I will. But he does it like 27 times. Yeah. And But it, it works for him because it's in earnest. And uh, what you were talking about, the movie really ringing people out. When I talked about it on Twitter, somebody replied that they actually cried so hard when they saw this movie. Uh, at the William H. Macy character and just how heartbreaking it is that they gave themselves a migraine by the time it was oh. done. And they're like, I haven't been able to rewatch it since, but it was a good movie. But and they're like, I should watch it. I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't recommend that. <laughs> Maybe your body is just rejecting this movie, but yeah. <laughs> but how do you think the game show element um, with the Earl Partridge and the, the quiz kids, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, um, I guess in the in the book, I wind up talking about it as like the game shows being used as a metaphor for family, which yep. connects it with Salinger's glass family uh, in those in that story. Oh, cycle. And Zoe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that um, in that the he, I think Anderson's basically thinking, all right, if I want to make something about authenticity and sincerity and feeling genuine things, what's like the most insincere, fakest thing I can find? Oh, game show, right? Yep. Like it seems like it's, he's using it as a punchline, but then also, what if, like, what has to happen in order for that space to be a place for honesty and truth, right? Yeah. And um, and then you know Stanley's confrontation like short circuits the show, right? Like they never yes. finish the show. There's no winner. Um, and I think that that's as apocalyptic for like the world of television as the frogs falling from the sky the idea that they have like dead air and don't have a winner and all of those mm -hmm. sort of things that like tv is um is geared toward in that he seems to be juxtaposing like real knowledge with like things that don't matter um yes you know and like with with stanley's whole like this is something that actually happens right he's mm -hmm. the only one who's not terrified of the frogs but he looks no. at it and wonder no. because he like he knows what it's all about you know that yeah. kind of thing and and the way that I guess it plays on the whole, what do kids know? Like the, the double entendre of that. Uh, yeah. So much parents doubting kids. Yeah. 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 Like I, 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 um, it seems to me that it's sort of playing on those levels. Um, and then like that TV is supposed to be this thing that connects people. Mm -hmm. Uh, yet in the movie, it almost winds up separating everyone yep. um, and that the movie's looking for, okay, we're, we can't really put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to television or, or media. And so how do we um, like, how do we build new connections in mm -hmm. this very disconnected mediated kind of world? Um, and I mean, he definitely seems to be positioning like cinema as like the way that it's going to connect. Like he seems to be dividing TV from movies. Yeah. Um, and and saying cinema is the thing that does the connecting and, and TV does the separating. Um, but like it, it does seem to be all geared toward, I guess, like uh, rescuing, you know, or like saving emotion from, you know, insincere delivery mechanisms um, like yes. television, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, too, um, in the what do kids know section as Stanley is. Um, starting to freeze because he wasn't able to use the restroom 
it kind of hinges on the host saying like, that is not right. And that goes back to a uh, quiz show with Christopher McDonald as this, you know, kind of cliched idiot, uh, beautiful idiot um, game show host. And uh, he has to, he's not sure when to, when to stop a contestant from sabotage if they're not going to the quote unquote script, like if they're saying the wrong answer or whatever, like that is not like, are, do you need more time or that is not right. And there's something about winning and losing and that is not right. And it goes to something bigger, I think, in humanity. And I think that, of course, in quiz show, it's just like one little moment. But uh, Paul has to like punch it like 45 times. But it, you know, really drives it home in a beautiful way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a remarkable film. Anything else you want to add about Magnolia before? You oh, I mean, no, I mean, I could, I could go on forever about it. It, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's something that I, I feel like I could rewatch anytime. Um, you know, even though it's, it's a big commitment in, in, yes. you know, both, uh, <laughs> both temporally and emotionally. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think to the, um, you have your Excedrin nearby. No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and I, I just, I think that the, the things that it, you know, I guess not enough can be said about what Amy Mann and, and John Bryan are doing uh, throughout the, the movie as well with, with the score. And I wish that, um, you know, I, I, I wish there were more movies like that, that, you know, went back to that, that thing of like, I guess in the tradition of something like Harold and Maude or McCabe and Mrs. Miller, the graduate let's, yeah right like, yeah like let's just get one let's mm-hmm. get one musician to do do all the songs um i i'm a sucker for that stuff i really oh, yeah. really love it yeah oh and they're such a perfect counterpart to paul and it was amazing mm-hmm. to learn that wise up was supposed to be in jerry Maguire and wasn't used and uh because there was some kind of a rights issue uh with the company not wanting it on an album or something like that so it was always meant to be in a tom cruise movie i suppose but i'm glad it's this one <laughs> yes absolutely yeah because then you get to hear tom cruise sing and, and his Ex- voice is yeah. not that his not voice is not bad no he's not doing like free fallen like in jerry Maguire. they yeah you're gonna hear him sing in either of these but yes well, this brings us to an intriguing mixture of facts or fiction, or as you dub in the title of your book, Truth and Consequences. We have actor George Clooney's feature filmmaking debut, the 2002 biopic spy movie Charlie Kaufman Extravaganza, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, based upon the controversial, fanciful memoir of game show host and producer Chuck Barris, who claimed that while he was creating shows like The Dating Game, Newlywed Game, and hosting the gong show, he was living a double life as an assassin for the CIA. Yeah, because that makes sense. He later refuted these claims. Then he backtracked. And the film, written by Kaufman, treats the zany, chaotic tall tales as fact, getting progressively weirder with every minute, which is quite a feat for a film that practically opens just like Apocalypse Now. Sam Rockwell gives a phenomenal performance as Barris, heading up a great cast that also includes Drew Barrymore, who's also astounding, Julia Roberts, Clooney, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and more. And while I think I was more dazzled by it in 2002, I think especially Rockwell, who I'd enjoyed for years, this one really didn't hold up for me very well on this recent rewatch. But I do love the cast and some of the ideas that Clooney was going for. So what's your take on this one? Yeah, I'm with you. It. I remember loving it when yeah. it came out and mm-hmm. being 
being just enamored of all of it. And every time I have rewatched it, I have liked it less and less. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's, it's rough. Like it, I, I think it just winds up being stylistically very interesting and mm-hmm. exuberant, but then like also just so kind of nihilistic and empty and almost boorish yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, it's, um, so it's, it was this last time watching it, um, for this, it was a rough go. It um, really was, especially like the back half of the movie, like the first half, you're kind of with it. It's, it's charming. It's weird. It's quirky. And then it's almost, it gets progressively stranger and just really bizarre. And it's like Clooney wants to point out so many things that that's wrong with society and the era and, uh, entertainment and he's making a lot of points and you can tell he has a lot of ideas I guess Charlie Kaufman uh, kind of divorces himself from the film he said he would have been happy to do rewrites and he really has some problems with what Clooney did and talked about um, preferring his collaborations with Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry because I mean those are great but um, he really has a problem with uh, what the script he wrote versus the finished product. So I'm kind of curious and I wish I could find um, Charlie Kaufman's script. I know a few people I might have to ask around and see if we can find an original, but yeah, it, it's just strange. And I think it sort of shows uh, Clooney's great ambition. And it's interesting that he loves these sort of cultural treaties on uh, America because then he followed it up with, Good Night and Good Luck, which I love and kind of is more like a quiz show type of movie. Those would actually go really well together. Same era. Um, yeah. Same yeah. points going across, kind of uh, political overtones. But yeah, this this was rough. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and uh, yeah, and some of it, I, I it's it feels like it's very much of its era in that that time when I guess right after Ocean's Eleven, right? If Clooney and Soderbergh wanted to do something, they could just put their names on it and they yes. made lots of things happen. Um, <laughs> and, and this is one of those, those earlier like section eight movies that they mm-hmm. did. And I guess, I mean, in this, the confessions had been going around forever, I guess like at one point Jim McBride was going to maybe going to yes, make it. That would have um, been interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I really Hansen. would have loved to have yeah. seen that. Um, and, and Brian Singer was yep. on it right before this. And I guess, and I think to the point where a lot of the crew had been hired because uh, yeah. Newton Thomas Siegel is his usual mm-hmm. uh, cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Clooney ar- arrived at, like maybe even kind of late, at least as a director. Uh, in it but definitely goes for it like he's making it like he might not make another film uh yeah and it's amazing to put it up against good night and good luck where it's like you know confessions is camera moving everywhere every scene is color graded differently and then good night and good luck is okay black and white (laughs) nothing's gonna happen very very much um and and i mean that's sort of interesting but um i think at the now coming back to it, the Rockwell and Barrymore are really the the mm-hmm. things to, the to watch, watch it for. Um, because yeah, it, I, yeah the, watching the second half of the movie the other night, I kept thinking, okay, I just I kind of just want to fast forward to the if I had a hammer thing where he he starts to cry and like when the yes, on him, like a, maybe I'll just skip to that part. I I didn't. I you know I went through yeah. the the whole thing, but I just really wanted to watch the him do the zanier Barris mm-hmm. stuff. Um. But, uh, you know, there are, I guess there are some fun things with, uh, 
the way the way that things are done all in one take in a lot of yeah spaces. yeah um, you do see like that live television tricks or just people running <laughs> to get from one side of the set to the other mm-hmm. i mean i guess the best one's that first one when he goes to nbc and he's like on a tour and then he's and then it goes yeah tour, through right and- uh, like that's i think that stuff is fun yeah. um but then yeah what it's all in service of the more i kind of watch and think about it really doesn't sit well um uh, mm-hmm. with me um because it's it seems like and this is some of it's what's in the the book but you know barris in, in the book and then the movie winds up seeming to position him as like because everybody else is always lying and full of shit on tv yeah. the fact that he is upfront about being full of shit makes him the only honest person in the world mm-hmm. um and I, I don't know like it, it's it's seen it winds up sounding really self-serving um, yeah. And it's like this this person who knows that they are sort of um, demonized as someone who's like been degrading the culture. And, you know, now they're going to just come out and troll everybody and be like, no, actually, I'm just holding up a mirror, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the comparisons where you, to like, um, you know, Fellini or like, uh, you know, he does those things where he's like kind of comparing himself to other other artists. And, you know, it uh, or I guess the Fellini comparisons are more with his his gong show movie, the one that Barris actually directed, uh, okay. which which is also it's it's pretty bad. And it's kind of like uh, it has a very but it has a similar attitude as Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, where it's it just winds up being kind of um self-serving and that like being a bullshit artist is the only honest thing someone can be in in this world um yeah yeah it just seems like it's trying to excuse a lot of really ugly stuff yeah it's pretentious and sardonic and cynical but it comes from almost too cynical or a too cool for school place which is you know you could say the same thing like magnolia is pretentious and it's cynical in places and it's sardonic and uh, some of the things are too cool for school, but it's coming from a real earnest place of in this essay, I will like he is trying to get in touch with his emotions. He's somebody who took care of his dad through cancer, Magnolia. Um, I think the bark actually uh, can be used to uh, treat cancer or something. There was something medicinal. There's like a layer there. Like it's coming from a real sincere place. And then you go to this and it's just like, well, fuck everybody. Basically, like we're all horrible people and I mean if that's your message and the movie uh, makes that point that's great but it seems like it's trying to make a, to- a totally different point at the beginning of the film and um, just Clooney isn't sure exactly what he wants to say and I think kind of blows up in his face a little bit yeah 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 I guess because it wants to it wants sort of the old-fashioned reward for doing some sort of new like this new like oh nothing matters and yeah um and we should all just laugh at it but but also like still wants the trophy yeah (laughs) or 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 the Joseph Campbell thing yeah and it's like yeah you didn't earn it no (laughs) (laughs) not with this one no but the cast is wonderful Yeah. yeah 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 well obviously this was only a small selection of films we could have discussed You'd mentioned Melvin and Howard when we were kicking around ideas, and that's a great one, but increasingly, sadly, hard for people to track down. What are some more game show movies you would like to encourage people to check out and lessons they should look for when they watch them? <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, Melvin and Howard is certainly, uh, if you can track it down, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worth getting a physical copy of it. It's a delightful movie. Um, and uh, the 
the other ones, uh, I guess, uh, they're the sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show called Shock Treatment uh, is all set in a TV studio. And Brad okay. and Janet are put on a game show to like determine if their marriage is a sham. Uh, uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's definitely not the perfection that that Rocky Horror is, but it is really interesting uh, and does some kind of quirky things. And the songs are pretty good. Uh, and cool. you have uh, Jessica Harper in the Susan Sarandon role, um, and and she's really great. Um, and then there are, um, you know, and then there are the kind of reality show movies like uh, the Running Man and the the Hunger Games oh, yeah. uh, series. Uh, but I uh, and I'm in the Running Man, if, if you haven't seen it recently, is is really a, quite a wild ride. Um, it's been a while, yeah, I yeah, because it, like, it. It, and I guess it, it's set in 2017. And oh, like just so many okay. of the things that it, it winds up kind of predicting as, oh, this is so ridiculous. This will never happen. And then you're yeah. looking at like, though, that happened like 10 years ago. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. It, I mean, because also it was like um, the movies, or the movies obviously freaked out about the idea of an actor becoming president, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. it's very much a Reagan era thing, but then you have a, a pro wrestler and a um and a and a bodybuilder who have both become actors who also become governors in the movie because you've got that's, yeah that's you've got you've got my, Jesse and my and friend's dad yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, and, and I I feel like that that the movie doesn't know that's what it's go, is yeah. is going to happen obviously but it man it just makes it um I guess it's that right kind of obvious sort of B movie with like B movie logic that winds up saying more than a lot of like a level prestige movies could go for. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I don't really recommend the, the hunger games movies. If you, if you haven't seen them, the, I like the books. Those are, those are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those would be the, I guess the, the big ones, uh, to talk about. Um, you know, I also get into like slumdog millionaire or the John, oh, yes. the, uh, stay tuned, um, you know, and those are kind of less successful, but definitely um, do some interesting, um, interesting show. stuff with game shows. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, when you were writing this, did you make any discoveries that surprised you? Either films that were new to you or recurring themes or revelations you want to impart? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed digging into Melvin and Howard a lot. Um, yeah, it's such a but good then, film. Yeah, and 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 way more like layered and nuanced than I had remembered it being. Yeah. Um, you know, I just kind of remembered it more as like a quirky, mm-hmm. offbeat movie, but it it winds up doing some really interesting stuff surrounding uh, the the appearance versus reality in terms of like baking it till you make it, you know, and, yes. and that kind of stuff. Um, they. Um, the the stuff that's the things popping into my head is like the the surprise was that the the amount of um uh, adult themed game show material exists um in okay. terms of literature and and movies um that I thought was ridiculous that was like really fun to write but but it might not be um sorry I'm so I'm trying to get that out of my head to oh, answer, answer your other questions because it's you know it's maybe not like super appropriate but um but no I I think it was the the connections I thought were maybe the yeah, here we go. Um, I guess the mo- the most interesting thing for for me was sort of looking at the the ways that they all connected to each other. The oh, cool. and how I was able to thematically say like, okay, all these are about family, and all of these are about love, and all of these are about identity, you know. And then these are all political. Um, 
that I thought was cool because then like structurally the book kind of starts really small, like with the self and then gradually broadens out to sort of the whole nation. Um, one that's kind of hard to find that uh, I really like, not as much as this filmmaker's other films, but this mm-hmm. one's definitely interesting and worth um, worth tracking down or tracking down his other films is this movie by Peter Watkins called The Gladiators. Okay. Uh, he made, um, his style is he tells makes movies like they are bbc documentaries or news reports uh-huh. uh and so he has one called the war game that's like a 45 minute like as though the bbc were re- re- reporting live from a nuclear attack um okay. and uh but he also does one that's like a biopic of of edward monk that has people like talking to a television crew and stuff like that um i think his movies are are outstanding and he does one that's imagining uh, or the gladiators that has it's sort of like a Hunger Games scenario, but it's made in like 1969, where like this mm-hmm. pasta company is sponsoring a uh, a war game of sorts between um, like a Western democratic fa- faction of nations and then um, uh, a, a far Eastern communist um, faction, uh, while people in the control room are manipulating the their environment and stuff like that by pushing yeah. buttons right so it's it's basically the control room in the hunger games but if you can imagine the hunger games done as a dry um you know 60s news broadcast um that's yeah. what the gladiators is like oh, uh and, and of course you know what happens when two people from when people from each faction meet each other and decide to cooperate right oh, and then, like yeah. will will the game continue uh so yeah, now I'm now that I'm saying it out loud, like yeah, I'm basically describing the Hunger Games, but uh, but this That's is fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great movie though, um, and his cool. stuff is is very cool. Very cool. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this and for um, sharing your wisdom about game show movies and literature with me today, and taking the time to to be here. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, thank you. It's it was a lot of fun. Well, next up, we have something of a bonus round. It's funny. I had been planning this game show episode for a few weeks before it dawned on me like, oh, my God, I actually know a game show host. And so here he is with us today, (laughs) my dear friend, Rob Belushi, a wonderfully funny actor and host of Game Show Network's Get a Clue. Welcome, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Thanks Thanks for having me. It is an honor to be welcomed back to your show. Oh, of course. Well, I gave Rob the rough draft of this episode in editing, a copy of my chat with Mike. So for starters, what did you think as a film fan and professional game show host? How did you like our takes? And did we get anything wrong or miss anything that you would like to discuss? Uh, No, I mean, both of you are are my favorite things about getting a little older is that the movies that made a huge impression on me are Mm -hmm. also making a huge impression on um, critics that are, you know, getting older with me, like the much younger Jen Johans. And- Not uh, really, I think we're about the same age, buddy. (laughs) Are we? Yeah, I just turned 40. Oh, dude, me too. Yay! Okay. Yay! I would not- That's crazy. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I mean, hard hard to see age these days, but um, congratulations. And, uh, but, you know, so my point, be, point, my point is, is that the movies that you were talking about were are four of my favorites, and um, I yes. loved everything you said about them. Um, 
and and they would I remember White Men Can't Jump was a I've watched it a thousand times. In fact, every time I see the Shangri-La Hotel on Ocean Avenue in Los Angeles, <laughs> I think that's where Rosie Perez stayed after she won Jeopardy. And yeah. um, I thought uh, it was interesting, your take on Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, you you guys didn't love. And, uh, you know, I still really I still really like that movie. I, mm-hmm. I think he's a piece of shit, obviously. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I still enjoy watching that film, but Magnolia, uh, you know, my, my wife has a video of me that she sent to my friend, Madison, who is in new Orleans. Now he's from new Orleans, just a little tie in to Michael was mm. the, your guest. Oh yeah. Um, of, of the last, uh, the last shot of Magnolia, she's videotaping me watching it just like crying. I, I don't know <laughs> that, that she's videoing me. And she's like, you know, like, why are you crying? I'm like, there's a bit of hope. And you see your little <laughs> smile. And, and it's one of those, you know, candid Aww. videos that has been circulating around my friend group. Okay. Um, You'll have to but yeah. text me that. Yeah. Got to see Rob cry at the end of Magnolia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. I know. It's amazing. Do you remember the I first time the... you saw it? I do. And yeah. I, I, I loved what you were talking about on the... Um, on the podcast because I know I was a little younger and I loved Boogie Nights mm-hmm. and um, the frogs hit and I was like, it totally blew my mind. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. But um, you know, what I loved so much about Magnolia that I think is different from, and I, I don't mean to be controversial, but like a movie like crash mm-hmm. um, is there's a lot of grief in Magnolia and there's a lot of trauma, but, but it, it, it doesn't feel like, that's all there is, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't, it didn't feel like grief porn to me. Um, okay. It felt like people, it always feels to me, even on rewatch people doing their best to fight through their obstacles without the tools to get there alone. Yeah. And that for me, the, the message of that film is like, no one can do it alone. Mm-hmm. You need help. Yeah. And it's incredibly salient and, you know, the Melora waters, um, for me more on the addiction side of things, Um, you know, whatever fuels the addiction, but also uh, Stanley is a lonely boy, you know, Um, TJ Mackey is in a silo of loneliness and a broken fictionalized identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All of them, even Philip Baker Hall, um, is living yeah. a lie, you know, and yeah. everyone's so isolated robot robots that are also isolated by their choices that they've made, but also, um, just the fact that they're victim of victims of other people's choices as well. Mm-hmm. And Very true. I'm going on and on. I'm going on and on. You guys no, cover it much more, but I love with it. that film though. My goodness. It's, it's an amazing movie. And there are obviously so many other great game show movies. Are there any other favorites that we missed? You want to give a shout out to, or anything you'd like to recommend? I was so happy. You talked about the running man because that, yeah, more of the reality. Stuff. Yep. Yeah. With Richard Dawson, a real, kind of, you know, upon revision, maybe a sketchy uh, game show host <laughs> playing a game show host in pure manic form. I love that. The one the one that I was like, huh, you guys are talking about reality based and you didn't talk about the Truman Show. And I was like, wow, oh, this, that one was really. I love that. 
Yeah, I don't know if I would consider it a game show, but it kind of is. It's a reality show. And I mean, they are playing with this dude's life. So, yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, my God. Beautiful film. The end kills me every time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting how, you know, I loved, I loved, Quiz Show was a huge one for me too. And I love that how, how he was talking about game show as always like a, a metaphor for, in a lot of ways, like a poison pill in America, you know, and a way to throw that mirror up. But I kept thinking about, you know, okay, if that's, if that's a game show and then, and then you pushed it into reality shows, like mm-hmm. reality game shows, like Running Man yeah. and the, the doc drum, the fictionalized doc drama he was talking about. I'm like, um, then aren't sports reality game shows as well. That is a really good point. Yeah. Um, because then to me, a lot of the same messages that we're seeing in quiz show and, um, Oh, well, obviously white men can't jump, you know, but, um, gladiator would, yeah, you know, some of this. Are you not entertained, Rob? About entertainment. <laughs> Ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, through the program all the way to any given Sunday, like that that time of those sports movies and um, just sports in general, you know, it's mm-hmm. all about, it's about watching the unbelievable happen. You know, like it's watching, what you were saying about watching the money and yeah. that's what we're watching, a miracle of human achievement but also we're watching all of the hype and endorsements that push that and yeah you know it's just running around old uncle rob's noggin this morning you know i was on my run like listening to you (laughs) i love it yeah no i love the episode oh please go on yeah I'm so glad. Well, because you are a game show host. I know we discussed this a little bit when you did the podcast last year, but for people just tuning in, what is that like? How did you get the gig? And what is it like shooting so many episodes back to back? Because I know you you went to Vegas and you shot like a ton of them in a couple weeks. And it was like mind blowing to me. Great. Yeah. Um, so I got the gig kind of, uh, I, I had, uh, this show's called get a clue. It's on game show network. It's shot. Um, we, we shoot six episodes a day. And so we do a lot in a short amount of time, which I like to say is, uh, a really difficult job without being yeah. unpleasant at all. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we shoot, uh, 65 episodes a season. We, we finished season two. It's airing now. Um, season one was shot in Las Vegas. Season two was shot uh, out in San Fernando during these strange and interesting times. The production yeah. has been faced with lots of obstacles. And um, I got the gig. Uh, the producer and head of development at Game Show Network wasn't always there. And he had seen me audition for a talk show for Paramount that I tested for about pop culture, which Ooh. I yeah I don't know anything about. You know? Oh, we talked about that. Yeah. Like when people talk about pop stars and stuff, I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. Yes. Nothing. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You want to talk about a Ron Shelton film from 1992? All in. Yes. Uh, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever that was. was it? Uh, but, um, but he remembered me from that. He, he liked the vibe. I guess I had a playful vibe, but he brought me in for this new show and tested me for it. And 
uh, really kind of taught me how to, what the job was. And, and, uh, it was really fun skill set to, to learn. And, um, ultimately what I learned is stop me at any time if you have a question. Okay. No, I would love to know. (laughs) Yeah. This is all interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty new to it and I'm sure, you know, an expert on game shows would be one of the producers that I've worked with. That's produced a million different types of shows with different types of people and different types of gameplay. But for, for our show and for me, the job is really like I'm hosting a party and I feel like my job is to make everyone uh, feel comfortable and to feel good about what's happening. Like win or lose, we want them to go home with a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, they had fun. Yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So that's kind of the the vibe I try to bring. I try to be playful with people in a way that is um, appropriate, but also you know identifiable. Like it's not stupid or patronizing or condescending. You know, I try to play around with people on, on the level that I can find them at. And it's generally gone pretty well. Yeah. I always get excited when you go off on your film tangents, the clips (laughs) that I've seen, or when you're like going off on beauty and the beast or like stories about like scouring blockbuster. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. I get excited. It's like, there's the Rob. I know that, you know, we text nonstop about movies. I love it. Oh my God, Jen, there, there, there's so much that they've cut of like long ramp <laughs> heat, uh, things oh, where, you know, really? someone will say Robert De Niro and he was like in heat and, and, you know, acting out full scenes from heat. And they're just like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> We got to get the footage of that and send it to Blake. Cause he will freak out. Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. Yes. Yeah. I know. Oh, that's great. You know, I say a lot about myself on that show that I think people think are jokes, but they're, they're just, they're, they're real. And, uh, Oh really? Like what? Like there was one about, like there was one, for example, there was one riff of people talking about needing a sponsor for AA and that's what a sponsor is. And, and then like at the act break, I was like, I really need a sponsor. My move to Connecticut. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. I need help. Anyway, that's it for round two. Yeah. You know, like, so, so psychotic. Like the transitions are truly crazy. Or like things that I say about like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull up, pull up, Rob. Uh, just like Oedipal drama, and, you know. So about that sponsor, call me. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know a guy. Do you need help right now? Uh, um. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my goodness. And like hosting would have a lot in common with what you do or what you, I don't know if it's going on during the pandemic, but teaching and stuff with your improv, was that a similar skill set or did you have to tweak it a bit? Yeah, I think it really was. In yeah. fact, I thought, I think um, teaching improv really uh, was good training because you're constantly trying to read the room and help people feel comfortable doing something that they're really new at, that they really want to excel at, but, um, you know, they will do the best at if they're, uh, comfortable. And, um, the way I try to do that is keeping the mood 
really light and teasing people in a, in a way that kind of helps us and, and teasing myself a lot, yeah. you know, as a example of like, Oh, of course. Oh, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Like we're playing a game. Let's have a good time. That's the most important thing. I think people get, and myself included, people get really uh, goal driven or result driven, and it 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 tenses you up. It makes uh, I know my experience is it, it doesn't make me my best self. In in fact, it makes me really blind to what's happening around me, and that and what's happening around you is is the magic you know. Very true. Well, I asked listeners if they had any questions for you across social media. The most popular theme seemed to be about contestants wanting to know about them. Mm. So a few I received, I'll read them all to you at once, because I think they go together and you can take it from there, pick and choose, is are you rooting for particular contestants? Do you find it hard to remain upbeat and neutral to everyone? What was the most unpleasant or pleasant contestant experience for you um of course uh, well honestly of course i always have favorites um yeah and i, I <laughs> parents try have not favorites to- yes yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um uh, but i try to cover that up the 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 people i'm always rooting for are kind of generally um either people who uh, are um like sweet sweet mm-hmm. people like whenever yeah. we have teachers on i want the teachers to win you know oh, what i mean or like yes <laughs> a, a really nice family that comes on i want them to win it, the people who are like i'm gonna win or i'm super funny or you know oh yeah um i'm like hey relax i yeah. let me let it's me do my job game. you do yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> um yeah. but it's a it's a tough line because you want people to engage and participate with you so um and to be who they really are. Yes. And that's what I think a great contestant is. It's some is someone who um, finds a way to be seen, you know, mm-hmm. when there's all these lights on and a camera and people watching, it's, it's a great um, excuse to kind of invert, you know, mm-hmm. and focus on the game and the rules, but the people who can open up and allow themselves to be seen are always the most fun and engaging contestants. And, I feel like my job is helping that and forcing them to participate with me and the people who do that in a fun way and have a good time are, are my favorites. And generally negative contestant experiences are really, really few. That's um, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's just my experience. But every now and then people get like really uh, goal oriented or goal focused and it's about winning instead of like, let's all connect and have a good yeah. time. And, and I get that. You, yeah, on a you game show, money. you want to win. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's, I guess, my answer to that. You know, generally, I like meeting new people and getting to know them and allowing mm-hmm. them to talk about themselves a little bit. So um, yeah, it's true. a great way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're great. You're so personable with every, you know everyone that I can see on online. You're very just engaging and watching the show you're so naturally good at that that I think you do that every day so that's wonderful do you have any funny stories or anything um that you want to share any surprises or things from behind the scenes that you think people would want to know well you know there was one thing that I was thinking of in connection to your uh to the your podcast that I listened to and that was regarding quiz show 
and yeah. the whole um, federal regulations that grew up around that controversy are still very much happening today. And mm-hmm. I got to see that time and time again, there are people from whatever commission that is that are at the game show, making sure everything's fair when something you need, needs to be done over or there's a penalty or any kind of rule infraction, like everything stops producers and the commission people come out and explain to everyone what's happening, make sure they all understand and then start it over because fairness is very much like a legal doctrine. Mm-hmm. And every time that happened, I was like, Stemple. Yep. Damn Stemple. Yep. Whistleblower Stemple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. I did think quiz show every time. And then um, another connection I thought of was I just I did. Uh, I played a host of a shit like a sing- singing show on um, a Nickelodeon uh-huh. uh, show called Side Hustle. And my character's name was Rowan Van Doren. And while I was on the set, I was like, Charles Van Doren. Oh, my Charles gosh. Van Doren. Yes. And it turned out that one of the script supervisor was related to Charles and Mark Van Doren. It was crazy. Oh, my God. That's insane. Wow. It's six degrees of game shows for you. That's crazy. I know. I know. Yes. I, was got, I was playing like an evil host. And how sad is Paul Schofield's like look oh god devastating right oh my goodness yeah (sighs) especially the way Ray Fiennes delivers it like it seems I got the answers like he he can't put the blame fully on himself and it's like oh god it's just devastating yeah there's so much misery in these game show movies about like trying to prove yourself and fathers and sons and the mm. whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, any f- like father son trauma really like ignites, it, yeah. it ignites my, and like Stanley, when he's like, you have to be nice to me, dad. You know, and the dad's just like, oh. go to sleep. Uh, breaks your heart. You're like, you want to like, go adopt Stanley. Let's all just break okay. Magnolia and bring Stanley home. It is straight up me watching my inner child. I remember my father used to like open one eye and then shut it. And oh, I'm no. like, <laughs> you have to be nicer like, to me, you, dad. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh <no>. not good. <laughs> um, but, you know, other things like, um, you know, behind the, like fun behind the scenes stories is it, it, it moves so fast and really it, it they cut uh they cut a lot of my stuff because i i'm trying to give them so many bits to like so many laughs um, yeah so that they can take the ones they that yeah they think they want. play there's really only one time where they actually say say again what did you say the ones that'll play well yeah yeah um, there was really only one time that I can remember where a contestant said something that Game Show Network was like, okay, you can't say that. It was like drug-related stuff. Oh, no. Okay. So they're like, after the guessing was over, they're like, can you pick that up and say something a little bit different? And um, they did. Okay. Yeah, they told but a little. Other than that, it's pretty much everything. Yeah, they got a little left. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah, except for that, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the darker yeah. side, the after dark version of uh, game shows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it would have been great on another show, but Game Show Network's demographic is, you know, no, pretty wholesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other hosts of all the other, do you guys ever hang out, Rob? Or is this like just for the promos? So far, just for the promos. But, um, Gosh, they were so nice. And were they? That's I, good to hear. Joey Fatone and I tweet a little bit, and um, uh, you know Alfonso and Higgins. That like they were all so warm and embracing to me as like the new kid, and it was very nice. This was before uh, Brooke came back, and then there was obviously no media or marketing last year, so I haven't had a chance to meet her, but. Um, Everyone was really nice, and and that's kind of the vibe. Very cool over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other projects coming up, or anything you're working on that you want to give people a sneak preview of before I oh. take up your whole afternoon? <laughs> no, no. I, I, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And um, <laughs> that was the other thing about um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind that I that I want to touch on. Like, yeah, his him constantly trying to pitch new shows and yes yeah do you have any ideas like you know a casino <laughs> oh yeah. yeah casino trivia for those listening rob is obsessed with casino <laughs> i mean we tweet about or we text about a lot of movies but it always kind of goes back to scorsese here so yes 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 uh <laughs> or heat God. or you know all that stuff yeah you know what i feel like would be great is like like a um What's it called? Theat it's like a theatrical. What's the word for it? You know, when you're actually in the world of uh, you know, like the Van Gogh exhibit in LA right now, or uh -huh. where, where you're living living in the world um, immersive. Immersive, thank you. Okay. Oh, yes. Fine. <laughs> I really think a casino immersive experience would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, get screamed at by Joe Pesci, get your head in a vice. Yeah, everybody wins, basically. It's like you got to an answer. Yes. yes. Yeah. Charlie M. Um, that would be great. Yeah. But no, we, uh, my buddy John and I have been, we've been out pitching a couple new shows for the past six months or whatever. And game shows just or just get, show shows? Game shows, game shows oh, cool. specifically. All right, cool. Yeah. And um, one of them you? is, <laughs> well, it's, you know, yeah, uh, but go it's, for it's, it. it's very like Chuck Barris, you know. I like, know. Uh, Except you're not a CIA assassin, I don't think. So that's good. I, claiming I, would be a, I would be a terrible CIA assassin. I would be I the would worst be... spy ever. <laughs> yeah, me. Me oh my gosh. I'd be like, can you believe the CIA hired me? And like, they'd <laughs> be like, what? everybody, yeah, yeah, like, Rob, you can't do that. Yeah, it's okay. I have clearance to tell you all of my security concerns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you've been doing that, you know. Uh, I worked for Netflix last week. Uh, this week, I was. I'm always grabbing gigs where I can, you know. Um, yeah, very but, cool. Yeah, yeah. You never know what's going to come. And, uh, and I feel very grateful to continue yeah. to make a living um, in, in, in these times in this industry, even though, you know, even though I'm not Tom Cruise, 
getting snuffed for a supporting actor Academy Award for Frank T.J. Mackey. Um, my place in this <laughs> Chuck Barris like ecosystem, I'm still grateful to have health insurance, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I see you're wearing your prime pizza shirt. Oh, yeah. I was an investor in LA's prime pizza. So how's That's that true. going? Have you opened another location? Yeah, we did actually. We opened on the west side about two weeks ago. It's going really great in Santa Monica. And now there are four total locations. And they're great. The, the real owners of that business are uh, guys named Jim uh, Starr and, and Zach Fishman. And, and, you know, they're great guys with a great mission. They do a lot of great things alongside the business. So it's really easy to be a fan of what they do. And the food is fantastic. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it and happy, happy to. And the, the newer, the new locations in Burbank and uh, the West side have been really um, blessed by a great customer base who've kind of taken them into the community and supported them. So we're just, we're super grateful to feed people and have them look up from their phones every now and then. Yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Well, this was so much fun. I really appreciated talking to you and getting a little um, inside info into game show hosting and your opinion on some of these wonderful films. So I want to thank you so much, Rob. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.